You're listening to a sermon from Hebron Baptist Church, a church in the northern Kentucky Cincinnati area that's committed to making disciples who make disciples. We want our love for God to be evident in our lives and for the Word of God to bear fruit as we go on mission across the street and around the globe. We hope after hearing this message, you'll connect with us on our website at hebronbaptist.org and visit our campus, not far from I-275 in Hebron, some Sunday morning. Our worship services are at 9.30 or 11. And now, here's a message from God's perfect, life-changing Word. We were singing a hymn earlier, and it struck me, um, uh, the, the, the text said, I, I love to tell the wondrous story, love to tell the story, uh, because I know it is true, it satisfies my longings. Does, does the story satisfy your longings? And then, uh, does telling it satisfy your longings? It hasn't always uh, for me. I, 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 and and you, know, you know why it hasn't? It, it, didn't. it didn't. It didn't satisfy my longings because I didn't do it. For years I didn't. I, I, I grew up in the church. Um, I grew up in a godly family. My parents led, led me to love the Lord. But I didn't share the gospel with my friends or my family for years and years and years and um, I'm, I'm, I'm very grieved by that I'm very ashamed of that um, and there was a time and I wish I could say I, I just saw the error of my ways and just turned, or, turned it over and, and started sharing my faith but that's not how it worked I went uh, when my family moved to Kentucky I went to, uh, we, we started going to a church. As a matter of fact, it was the, the church I had just been serving. And um, my family started going to church there. And, and there was a, this girl I was dating at the time who was trying to get me to go to this uh, training. Uh, it, was, it was a training called Faith Evangelism Training. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but I didn't want to go. Uh, it sounded boring to me. And uh, I wasn't interested. But she kept bugging me, and I had anything else to do. It was on a Sunday night, and there wasn't anything going on that Sunday night. So I was like, yeah, whatever, I'll just go. And so I went. My whole life, I believed, the, I, I mean, I didn't believe the gospel my whole life, but I had turned uh, and trusted Christ at an early age. And, and I, I, but I had been mortally afraid, mortally afraid of sharing my faith with my friends and my neighbors and the folks I went to school with. And uh, so I'm in high school now, and I'm, and I'm coming to this, this evangelistic training, and, and I start to, to listen, and, and, and it was, unfortunately, one of the, the strengths, if you're familiar with that is, with faith evangelism training, one of the strengths is, it gets you out of your seat and, and, and into sharing. Now, one of the weaknesses is, it, it takes an entire semester to learn the process, um, and so that was a little daunting, but at the end of the semester, through the process of this training, not only was I learning how to share my faith, but I was forced to go do it. We would spend an hour studying this method, this model, this outline, right? And then we would spend the next hour going out 
and visiting folks or, or walking around the mall or, or walking through a neighborhood and knocking on doors, and we would just start talking to folks about the gospel. And, and through that experience, God pulled back the curtain for me, so to speak, to use a Wizard of Oz reference, and I saw the wizard, and it wasn't that intimidating anymore. God had opened up the reality of the simplicity of the gospel and its effectiveness in reaching lost people, and suddenly I wasn't as afraid anymore. So my prayer for us this morning, as we look to God's word, is that through reading it, through hearing it, through talking about it, that God would take that curtain for you and pull it back and expose the reality that the gospel is simple, the gospel is, is, is effective, and it is good to tell. It's, it's enjoyable for us to tell. It is pleasurable for us to tell. We're, we're going to be reading together in John chapter 4, so if you've got a copy of God's Word in front of you, turn there. Uh, to John chapter 4. Um, it is in the New Testament between um, Luke and Acts, um, which is kind of funny because Luke and Acts kind of belong together. never understood that. But anyway, uh, it is the, and we're in the Gospel of John, John chapter 4, um, and we're going to read this together. Um, starting in verse 1, this is God's word to us. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. That's the one in the pew rack there in front of you. John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, the Word of God says, When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep, so where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you were a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. 
Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. Don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said, and they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, you are good, and your word is good, and it fills us up, and it sends us out. And I pray it would do that today through the power of the Spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. One of the striking features of this passage is the overwhelming emphasis from beginning to end on food, water, and satisfaction. You look at the text and you say, well, this is a text very obviously about evangelism, very obviously about missions, but I don't, I don't know where the food, wa- I mean, it's sort of obvious, but wh- how does that apply to us? And uh, I just want to point out to you several things about the text. One, well, context. They're at a well, right? So both of them came to the well for a reason, Jesus and, and the woman. And that reason was, among others perhaps, that they were thirsty, obviously. Why else would you go to the well? Jesus begins the conversation with her in the gospel talking about what? Water. He asks her for water, and she says, why are you asking me? And he says, if, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water, and I'd give you living water, right? So the conversation starter, the context of the conversation, is at a well about drinking water, right? Here's the interesting thing. Nobody gets any. 
Do you ever notice that before? The whole reason they're at the well is to get water, and neither one of them gets any. The, 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 Jesus asked the woman for water, and she never gives him any. That's kind of rude, wasn't it? And, and the woman is there, obviously, to get water, but before she can, she leaves. That's strange. But both of them walk away from this circumstance satisfied. They don't miss the water they didn't get. Isn't that interesting? There's more to it. Uh, when, when the disciples get back after Jesus has been talking, uh, what's the thing they ask him? Well, they, they think, you know, what's the deal with you and this woman? I don't get to that. But the, the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, aren't you hungry? What does Jesus say? No. I've already eaten. They're like, what, what did, did somebody bring him food? This is so funny. Uh, we can easily see the disciples as a bunch of bumbling uh, goofballs. Uh, like, you know, why don't you get it? And a lot of times we look at the text and realize, oh, that's who, oh, we're like that too. Uh, why don't we get it? Right. But so the, the, the disciples are like, well, where's your food at? How, how could you possibly be eaten? And then Jesus is like, guys, listen, <laughs> my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work, right? So uh, the context around which Jesus is sharing the gospel with this lost woman is the context of eating, drinking, and satisfaction. And what Jesus is, is showing this woman, first and foremost, is that the gospel story itself, the good news of God, who has sent his son to come to the earth, the Messiah who has come to save the world, those who would believe in him from their sins through his death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension. That good news is satisfying. It fills you up, like food, like water. So, so our, the first thing we get out of this, this passage today is that doing the will of God is satisfied. It, it, I'm not going to begin, and, and, and this text doesn't begin with the obligation to share the gospel. This isn't a law book. This isn't a thou shalt share the gospel. Jesus begins by telling us in this passage and showing us that sharing the gospel, in this case doing the will of God, is sharing the gospel, is satisfying. It gives us what we're longing for. It is uh, much like there are two kinds of ways in which we can spend our days. You can have a job or you can have an occupation. A job is something you do for money and very little else. All of us at one point or other in our lives have probably had a job like that, right? You just need the money and you go and you show up to work and you do your job and you go home, you leave it at work, you don't think about it anymore and the paycheck comes in. It's not a career per se, it's a job. And different times in our lives, we just have to do things like that. When I, I worked my way through college and seminary, uh, work, working part-time, uh, different places, restaurants. I worked for Amazon for a little while. Uh, it was, they were just jobs. There's, there's no way, and I knew it going in. There's no way when I go to work at Applebee's that I'm thinking to myself, I'm gonna do this for the rest of my life. Some people think that way and they make great managers. Somebody's gotta work at Applebee's. And not, honestly, the money was pretty decent. It just wasn't what I was called to do. It was a means to an end, right? But there's another kind of job, and that's the kind of job that we have guidance counselors in high school and middle school for 
to teach kids that they need to be preparing themselves for an occupation, something that they could give their lives to. An occupation is something that you would go to even if you weren't paid. And if you have a job like that, you know what I mean. There is very little joy in the world greater than, a, than, than something that you love to do and someone pays you for. I wake up every morning and thank God that is the case for me, right? And that is a wonderful feeling because it's something that drives us. It's something for our lives to be about. Well, Jesus is telling us in John chapter four, rather showing us, that sharing the gospel is just that sort of job, right? It, Jesus is telling us that the, the wages are already coming in What he means is that you're already enjoying it. It's a fun job. If you've never gone out and shared the gospel with somebody, there is very little more exhilarating experience. And if you have, you know what I'm talking about, right? uh, It doesn't matter how many times you've done it, when you're in the moment and and you're actually getting to the meat of the gospel and you see the light bulb turning on in the other person, it fires you up. Your heart rate goes up, you start sweating, you get a little nervous. It doesn't, that doesn't go away. As many times as you share the gospel, that never goes away. Do you know why? That's supposed to be a motivation. There is no greater thrill that I know of than sharing the gospel with a lost person, especially when they believe. Oh, man, it gets me fired up. I had the opportunity on the way back from our strategy meeting in North Carolina a few weeks ago to share the gospel with a, a guy next to me. He didn't believe, but... And I, I normally feel pretty comfortable talking to folks, but man, it just, it just I was just nervous because I was getting in, he was listening, he was tracking with me. It, it never goes away. It's so thrilling and it's so satisfying. When you get done, even if they don't believe, you get done and you say, finally, I did it. How many times have I missed this opportunity? How many times have I walked away from this exact same conversation and not said anything? and had all kinds of regret. But this time, because of the grace of God and the Spirit working in my heart, I actually did it this time. You feel so good. It's a good kind of tired. It's like when you come home from a long day at work where you've gotten a lot done and you finished a bunch of projects and you're just like, that's what evangelism is supposed to be like for all of us. It's satisfying. But many of us, uh, myself included, often miss the conversation because of the fears we have. We, we, are, we are afraid. Maybe we've had this experience and we know it's satisfying, but we still have this fear. Rico Tyson, his book, Honest Evangelism, which is a great book if you want to read a book on evangelism, he calls it crossing the pain line. There's that moment where you, you, you don't know if you're going to say it or not. You don't know if you're going to start the conversation. Maybe you don't know how to start the conversation. Maybe you think you don't know how to start the conversation. And so there's this fear, right? We fear maybe that they'll reject us, that they won't believe us. We fear maybe that they won't believe. They won't, they won't track with us. They'll write us off, right? Or make fun of us. Oh, really? You're a Christian? Are you serious? I feel that way all the time when I'm meeting a stranger. I, I always avoid telling them what I do for a living, because I'm afraid as soon as I tell them I'm a pastor, they're gonna go, oh, okay, you're one of those. But one of the things the text is showing us is that the, the consequences, in some ways, are less than you think. Now, are there consequences? Yes, 
In some places, will you be persecuted? Of course. Even in this place, you might be persecuted. But I've found almost invariably that even if I do get rejected, which is frankly often, it's part of it, even though I do get rejected, I find the embarrassment to be less after the fact than I thought it was going to be at first. When I, uh, I, I've gotten into some trouble uh, in, in some places for sharing, uh, in places that it was, it was technically not uh, maybe legal to do that, right? I've, I've gotten in some trouble for that, and, 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 it, and I was afraid, but you know what? It turned out all right. Nothing that bad happened. I was fine. Um, it's interesting, there was a, I was reading and there was a study and I was really trying to find specific details as to, as to who did this study or whatever. So at this point, it's completely anecdotal. So don't, don't like take this to the bank. But the study that I read suge- uh, suggested that they, 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 they surveyed a certain number of people. I was trying to find the specifics. I couldn't find how many people they did. But they surveyed a number of people about their worries, things they worry about, right? And they wrote them down. And then over a period of time, as they would occur, or they would not occur, they would mark all, all of them down, and, and, and at the end of the time, that, here's what they came up with, right? Of all the things that the people that were being studied worried about, 85% of those things never happened. Think about it. 85% of the things that those studied worried about never happened. So, statistically, that's, you know, we, we correlate into our own lives, so technically, statistically, uh, uh, in terms of, of, of the odds, the odds are that the thing you're worried about, whether it's evangelism or otherwise, is probably not going to happen. And here's what's interesting. The other 15% of, of things that, that did actually come to pass, they were either not as bad as they thought, or, or, or virtually all of those were not as bad as they thought, the consequences weren't as bad as they thought, or that they were as bad, they were grateful that it happened because of the lesson they learned from it. Astronomically, it was like 3% of the things that they worried about actually ended up being as bad as they thought, right? So that's everything that we might worry about statistically. But let's look at, the, let's look at our evangelism. Um, it stands to reason that most of the time, based on this study, most of the time when we share, the consequences won't be near as bad as we think they are. And the text tells us that. Uh, if you look at, um, first of all, in terms of what Jesus had to go through to share with her, he didn't go out of his way. The text says that he had to go through Samaria. So he's on his way to do something else. By the way, that's when we're supposed to share. The, the Great Commission, go therefore make disciples, that literally translated that word go is not the verb of the sentence that is called a participle. It is while you are going, or since you're going anyway, make disciples. Make disciples is the verb. That's the command of the sentence. That's the imperative, right? So the, the, the text in Matthew we assumes that we are already going, and John 4 is the same way. Jesus is already on his way somewhere. So how many of us, by the way, don't share unless we're like, okay, we're going to go share, but we miss all the opportunities on the way? the server at your restaurant. If you're in a city and you're on a taxi, your taxi cab driver, the person you sit next to on a plane, your coworker sitting next to you while you're working. God is calling us to share the gospel, not just overseas. He's calling us to do that, and believe me, I'm all about that. But he's also telling us to do it on the way to where we're going. 
Let me, let me challenge you. When you go to a gas station, don't pay at the pump. Go in. It's just one more opportunity to talk to a person. And you got a captive audience. They're just sitting there. And most of the guys that work at gas stations are bored out of their skulls. So they love to talk to you, right? The other day I was in uh, Walgreens, I think it was. And I was just going to pick something up and leave. And I wasn't even thinking. And the guy's like, what are you up to? I'm like, what a strange question. I... I'm sad to say I didn't take the opportunity and I clocked out in the car. I'm like, why didn't I talk to that guy? But there are people in your lives already. You don't necessarily have to go out of your way to find them. I have to try a little harder. I'm a pastor, right? I have to try a little harder to go out of my way to find lost people, but you don't. You work with them. Unless you work at AIG, I guess. But otherwise, no, I'm just kidding. You, you work with lost people, probably. And even there, probably the case, right? Um, so, so Jesus didn't have to go out of his way. That was one consequence he didn't have to pay. Here's another thing that Jesus did that he didn't have to pay for. He broke some social rules, right? You don't talk to Samaritans as a Jewish person, and you don't talk to women. And he did both of those things, right? And here's what's interesting. I've always kind of wondered when, when the disciples come back, they have this thought amongst themselves. They don't say it out loud, but they're all thinking it. Of course, Jesus knows, right? But they all say, you know, they, they, say, they thought to themselves, why is he talking to this woman? but it says they never said it. Isn't that interesting? Why would, God, why would that be included in the text? I believe the answer is because it's showing us that there could have been consequences, but there weren't. It didn't happen. God prevented those consequences from taking place. Jesus did not get persecuted for breaking that social rule. It's not a law, but just a social faux pas. He broke the social rules and talked to somebody he wasn't supposed to talk to, and it was fine. Nothing happened. Well, something did happen, right? So we've got to be ready to break those rules knowing that, social rules, knowing that, don't break any laws unless, it, I mean, unless you're it's illegal to evangelize, then break that law. But, um, but you can break social rules, and, and, and I'm not saying that you won't have to pay for it, but what I'm saying is, at least in this circumstance, God prevented that consequence from taking place and might very well for you. You need not fear. One, have you ever been afraid to share the gospel with somebody because you felt like they weren't going to track with the conversation, they weren't going to follow you? They weren't going to pay attention to what you were saying? Who's driving the conversation here? The woman. She's helping him through. She's giving him all these cues and questions to help him through. And let me encourage you as you, as you, train, uh, as you train in your evangelism, one of the greatest ways i found to get people engage in the conversation is to ask them questions. Lead them through the gospel by asking them questions, right? Some of it you have to tell them. You have to feed them the story, but ask them questions. Keep them engaged, and, and, and she stays engaged. She's tracking with Jesus, right? So she helps move the conversation along. That happens a lot. You might be afraid they're not going to talk back to you. You'd be surprised how often people will talk back. You might think to yourself, oh, they're not going to like what I have to say because it's going to confront them with their sin. So we kind of tiptoe around some of these issues that we might thought, think are, are divisive. But what does Jesus do? He points her sin out right off the bat. Yeah, I know you don't have a husband because you've had five husbands and you're sleeping with somebody that's not your husband, right? That's not a very good church growth method, is it? But he does, and she doesn't freak out. She doesn't get offended. If anything, she's intrigued. Because what does she say after he points out her sin? She says, I see that you're a prophet. 
right? So, so here's another interesting thing. When she discovers this, that there's something special about Jesus, she doesn't, tar- she doesn't write him off. So for me, I don't have to fear telling somebody that I'm a pastor because when Jesus walks up and basically tells her that he's a Messiah, she doesn't go, oh, okay, whatever. She believes him. And, and she's interested. She wants to talk more. In the same way, when you are meeting somebody for the first time, you can feel free to say, hey, I'm a Christian. Because you would be surprised how often somebody goes, oh, if that's the case, then let me ask you some questions. That happens a lot, believe it or not. So uh, there's just another consequence that God worked out where, that Jesus didn't have to pay. Um, and a matter of fact, you know, the thing that she's going and she, when she goes and tells, what is the way in which she tells everybody about what happened? Come see the man who told me all I ever did. That was the theme of her song, right? She was happy that Jesus brought her sin. Now, that doesn't mean that we walk up to somebody and try to figure out in the first 10 seconds what their pet sin is and then confront them about it. No, that's not gracious either. But we need not be afraid of telling the truth. Because God is going to help us through that. Uh, so, so maybe you're afraid, but, but the text shows us that the consequences may not be as bad as we think. The truth is, and, and you think about all these, 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 these things we're afraid of, they're all circumstances. They're all things that might happen. Who is the God of those things that might happen? Jesus Christ. The one who controls those very circumstances is none other than the one who is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. It is in God's best interest to make sure that conversation goes well. So then we can trust. We can trust in the one who has sent us out. We can trust that he will give us the words to speak in the moment we need them. And we, can need, we need not fear the consequences because the one who serves, the one who sends, is the one who empowers. So lastly, we see that the gospel itself is effective. We've seen where, where doing the will of God is a satisfying thing. It, it, it fills us up. It gears us up. It gets us excited. And we've seen that um, the consequences are rarely as severe as we think. And, and honestly, a, a lot of them are good things, because Ultimately, God is in control. And lastly, we see that if we look at the message of the gospel itself, it sells itself. Sounds a little funny to talk about it from that perspective. But it's attractive. People want to hear that. People need to hear that. If we believe the Bible is true and that every single human being on this planet is destined for hell from the day they are born, if that's true, we've got to get off our rear ends and get get in gear, right? But the glory of that is, one, it's motivating against staying in their sin. When they hear the gospel message, they want to get out of their sin. But also, the gospel message is that God will save them, that God will be with them and love them and teach them and make them more like Jesus. Now, does that mean that we'll be healthy and wealthy? No, not necessarily. Maybe, but not necessarily. But it does mean that we will be satisfied. This is the living water we're talking about. This is the water that we will go and we will drink and we will never thirst again. That's amazing. 
And so the story of the gospel itself is effective to change the hearts of believers through the work of the Spirit. I remember when I was in school, uh, I don't remember if it was for band or for something else, probably was for band. We had to sell these little things, and we called them smart cards, but everybody, every little high school whatever sells them, but they're basically a little discount card. They got like tiny little coupons on them you can reuse, right? They're usually like 10 bucks. And so we had to go out and sell them to raise money for the band, right? And, and when we, they give them to us, and they give them, you know, you're, 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 you're showing them to people, the thing you always say is, it sells itself, Right? Because if you've ever bought one of these things, you usually get your monies back in the first month that you use it because of all the discounts you get, right? So it, that 10 bucks is totally worth it, but that 10 bucks, uh, uh, you know, sell a bunch of them and you, your, your, your band gets a new sousaphone this year or something, right? That's the way we, we were trained to sell these cards. They sell themselves. If you, you ever talk about a salesman, you're a, you, if you're a salesman yourself, uh, you want your product to be something that people actually want so you don't have to do all this work to make it something it isn't, right? And the better your product is, the easier it is to sell it, right? Well, in some ways, we are sellers of the gospel. That doesn't make us fake. The gospel is true. We believe it is true. But we are giving it to people. We are spreading it. And we need to, to, to tell it in such a way that is fair to it. It is attractional by itself. And so we need to tell it in a way that's attractional, right? But the glory of the gospel is even if we just totally beef the thing, right? Even if we tell it wrong, it's not up to us to save them. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who does the saving. All we have to do is open our mouth and the gospel does the rest. Didn't it do that for you? If you've believed today, someone opened their mouth and they may have flubbed it up too, but you believed it. No one's perfect except the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you fear that you might not get it right, know this, that the Spirit is the one who changes hearts. So we do need to be faithful to share and open our mouths, but we open our mouths and God does the rest. Isn't that good news? Do you take comfort in that? That you can't screw this up. Now, do your best to train and be ready for the answer, to give an answer for the hope that you have, of course. Know the Bible frontwards and backwards best you can. Learn the gospel. Learn different ways to share it. Train by every means. Do so. But do not fear. Because in the moment, God will give you what you need to say. It's, like, it's a huge, huge encouragement to us. The gospel is effective but here's what's interesting about the gospel. It's not only effective to save, it is effective to send, right? We open the passage, and the passage begins at the beginning, and it says that, that when the Pharisees learned that Jesus was making more disciples than John, and then there's this little parenthesis. It says, but actually Jesus wasn't doing it, it was his disciples. Right? Jesus is starting a movement of God, Right? And that movement is not based on just one person. Jesus, even at this point, is setting up a people who will go. He's got multiplication in mind at the very front end, right? So when he's sharing the gospel, when he is telling even his disciples about the good news, he's assuming they're going to go too and tell it. When, when Jesus, uh, so, so Jesus is the one doing the discipling, doing the, the, the baptizing, it's his disciples, He's setting up these people to do the work of the ministry. And at the, and at the end, 
when the woman hears the gospel, what does she do? She immediately gets up. She forgot to get her water. That was the whole reason she came to the well. She leaves her bucket and she goes. And she tells everyone she comes in contact with, come see the man who told me all I ever did. And what happens? They come. They hear the words of this woman whose life has been changed by the gospel and they've got to see for themselves. So they come to Jesus. They believe. And then, they, and then it says that, that they no longer believe just because of what she said, but because they experience God for themselves. And that's what's going to happen to the people you share the gospel with. If they turn from their sins and they believe in Jesus Christ, the Spirit inhabits them, their life is changed immediately, and at that point, you're done. Now, we need to disciple them. Obviously, we need to keep them plugged into church, but, the, but God is beginning to work on them and going to finish what he started with them. Right? So, so we can feel comforted in knowing that God will take it from here. Now, we, we need to be faithful again to disciple uh, and to bring them into the church so that they can be in our fellowship together. But God is going to do that work alongside of us, and he's going to send those people out. We need more laborers. Jesus told us to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers into the harvest. So when we share the gospel with people, they will be those laborers. Right? We need to think about what do we need, and we need to share the gospel with those people. There's no harm in that. So, look for altos and share them. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> the choir, we can always use more people. So look for singers and share the gospel with them, right? I, I'm sort of kidding, but I'm sort of not. Right? We, we've got to share the gospel with people, and we know that, that once they believe, they're going to become a part of the church. They're going to be co-laborers with us. And there'll be an asset to go and share more. It's a multiplication strategy. It's, it's all about multiplication. And so we can increase our witness knowing that God will then multiply it like he did the loaves and the fishes. We know that the gospel is what people are looking for, so it's always relevant. We know that it leads people to worship. That's the point. It's, it's, it, the point is that God is seeking worshipers. The Father is seeking worshipers. So we're going and we're telling so that we might then make worshipers by our telling, right? So God is glorified. There's all, it's, 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 a, it's an exponential result by our faithfulness to go and to share. So know that God will take your efforts and he will multiply them through the effectiveness of the gospel. So, all of us in this room were once not worshipers of God. Every person here, there was a time in your life where you did not worship the Father in spirit and in truth. But some of us, after knowing that, after learning that and learning what Jesus has done, we turn from our sins and we put our trust in Christ. But here's the deal. I, I, I pray that that has happened for you. If it hasn't, uh, we're gonna have a time and a moment of, of invitation where you can, you can take that moment and get right before God and say, God, I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me my sins and help me to be different and to love you and to go and to share. Um, but for a lot of us, that has already taken place, but we haven't gone. Not like this woman, we haven't. We've not gone to our friends, to our neighbors, to our relatives, to everyone we contact with and say, come see the man who told me all I ever did. That's you today. Let me encourage you. That is the gospel. If you do not feel that desire, I worry about you. 
Because that's what the gospel does. It changes our hearts and it makes us love our neighbors and it makes us go and share. If you don't feel that way, let me, let me, let me implore you, trust in Christ today. Go today, commit today, I will go because God has done much for me. He has saved me. So that's what we're going to do together. We are either going to trust in Christ for the first time or we are gonna commit our lives to Christ because of what he's told us to do, to go and to make disciples of all nations. Amen? Let's pray this together. Father, we pray that you would stir in our hearts to believe and to believe in so much that we would go. Father, I pray if there are people, if there is one among us or many among us who have not turned from their sins and trusted in Christ, I pray that they would do so today. And Father, there are many among us, Father, who may think that they have, but the, the, the Spirit is not in them. They have not gone. They have not felt they needed to go uh, and to share. And I pray that you would uh, change them from the inside out, uh, change us all from the inside out, I pray. And I pray that we would be obedient as you call us to share. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Hebron Baptist Church. We pray as you have listened, the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart that you may faithfully follow Him. Most importantly, we hope that you have been drawn into a relationship with God. At Hebron, we believe that the gospel is the central message of the Bible. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, and died for our sins. But He was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. The most appropriate response to hearing this good news is turning from sin and turning to Christ. Don't stay far from God. Instead, repent and believe in Christ and be brought into an intimate relationship with Him. If you would like more information about this life-changing decision, please contact us through our website at hebronbaptist.org or even better, come see us on a Sunday morning. May God bless you as you follow Him.